Alright, so tonight's lesson is titled, Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. So, <laughs> very appropriate, yes, for this night. Um, but I want this to be a lesson of encouragement. And when you look at the scriptures about what God expects of His people, one thing that He says over and over and over besides repent, is continue. Keep on going. Don't give up. So if we start tonight in Luke 9.62, this is kind of the scripture that spearheaded this whole lesson. And one thing you know about Bible study, when you study the scriptures, you think you have just one scripture and you're going to just study this one scripture. But what you find is that one scripture leads to 10,000 more. So what you think is going to be just a narrowed study is actually turns out to be a lot deeper than you think. So Luke 9.62, very sobering if you have read it before, says, But Yeshua said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So if you look deep within that verse on the surface level, what do, you, what do you get from that? Well, it sounds like once you start your walk with God, if you look back, Yeshua says you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what does he mean by looking back? Well, that's where you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper into what the words mean. So, if you look at that word looking in the Greek, it is um, Greek word 991, and it's the Greek word blepo. I did not make that up. Um, and in this particular word, or in this particular verse, that word looking is used as a present participle. Now before I go on, does everybody understand what a present participle is? A present participle is continuing action. It is a verb that is continuous action. So if it says looking, that means you're looking now and you're going to continue to look. It's something that you don't stop doing. So a present participle means uh, it's continuous action. So anytime that I point out a verse or a verb that is a present participle, that means it's not a once upon a time thing. It's continuous, ongoing action. Does that make sense? Like breathing. Like breathing. You don't stop breathing. If you do, you're dead. But if you keep breathing, you keep living. Okay? Uh, nine 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 one. I nearly said nine one one. Nine nine one, and it's the Greek word blepo, b l e p o. All right. So in this particular verse, looking doesn't mean you just glance at. Looking means it's those who are longing to go back. In other words, whose hearts are still in the world, or want to return to the world. So when Yeshua says the one who puts his hand to the plow and is looking back. It is not, is not fit for the kingdom of God. That's one who started on their journey, and what did they do? Turn to a pillar of salt. They, it, it's exactly the, it's the Lot's wife mentality. They started on their journey. Lot's wife was delivered. But what did she do? Her heart was still in Sodom. So that word fit, the word fit is Greek word 2111, and it's the Greek word euthetos. Euthetos. I'll spell it. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'll spell it. E-U-T-H-E-T-O-S. 
E-U-T-H-E-T-O-S. And that word fit means useless. Not good for anything but to be thrown out. So what he's saying here, if you look back and your heart is still in the world, he's saying you're not fit. You're, as far as the kingdom of God goes, you're useless. So the, the lesson that I want to teach tonight is what can we do to not give up? What does God expect of us in order for us to not give up? So how are we saved? Are we saved by works or are we saved by faith? faith. We're saved by faith. So what I want us to look at tonight is I want us to look deeply, well tonight and tomorrow, I want us to look deeply at what is faith. Because faith is what brings us to salvation. Is what brings us to the goal. So we're going to look at what faith is and we're going to look at what it means to believe. Because when you start looking deeply at those two words, you're going to find that they're very they're one and the same. They're connected. So when you have faith, that's tied to your belief. So let's start with Exodus chapter 17, verse 12. And if everybody in Go to Meeting Land would turn off your cameras, please. That way we don't have any interruption with the with the bandwidth. Thank you. Exodus 17, 12. Exodus 17, 12. So we're going to look deeply at what is faith. So if you're taking notes, I've, um, you can make little subheadings as we go along. So this first little group of scriptures that we're going to look at, I've titled, Faith is Trusting God's Words. So what is faith? Here's one part of faith. Faith is trusting God's words. Alright, so Exodus 17, 12. It says, but Moses' Moses's hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. That word steady, I want you to take note of that word steady, because we're going to be looking at several instances of that same Hebrew word. That word steady is, you're going to recognize this word, by the way, is the word imunah. Imunah. E-M-U-N-A-H. Imunah. And that's Hebrew word, if you're writing down for the Strong's Concordance, it's Hebrew word 530. And imunah comes from the word imun, or emun, E-M-U-N, which is Hebrew word 529, which comes from the word amon. Sound familiar? Sounds like amen. Okay, because that's where the word amen comes from is the Hebrew word aman, A-M-A-N, which is Hebrew word 539. So imunah is translated here as the word steady. So it says that her stood on one side, Aaron stood on the other side, and kept Aaron's hands steady. Moses' hands steady. Thank you. You're listening to me. I'm not. All right. So the word translated steady is the, is the word imunah. Where you, what you will also notice in the scriptures as we go through, that word imunah is also translated as faith. It's also translated as faithful. So it's translated as lots of different things, 
But all these different words carry different flavors. So what does it mean to be steady? When something is steady, how much does it move? It's immovable. It doesn't move. So when they kept Moses' hands steady, where they letting them fall and then come back up, fall and then come back up, they were holding them steady because what happened when Aaron put his hands down? I keep saying Aaron. Moses put his hands down. They started losing. They started losing. So what happened when they kept his hands steady and his hands up toward God? They got the victory. So imunah, which we see a lot of times translated as faith, has to do with being steady, immovable. So when you have faith and you believe in God's words, how should you be? Should you be double-minded as the book of James warns us not to be, or should you be steady and immovable? Steady and immovable. Let's go to Deuteronomy 32. Looking at another instance of the word imunah. Because all this traces back to trusting in God's words. 32.4 And I will say the verse again and again, so if you don't hear it the first time, I'll, I'll say it 50 more times. Deuteronomy 32.4 So let's play a game. See if you can find the word imunah. Deuteronomy 32.4 It says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. Upright. Okay. So, in your translation, it's faithful. In the New King James, it's upright. So, it's the same Hebrew word, imunah. So, in Exodus 17, we see it translated as steady. In Deuteronomy 32.4, we see the same word translated as upright. In your case, Bob, it would be faithful which we're also going to see that same translation when we look at other places. So when it says that God is upright, how many words can we trust that comes out of God's mouth? We can trust every one of them. It says He is the rock. He is is perfect. All His ways are justice. He is a God of truth. Psalm 119 verse 142 says, What's truth? Torah is truth. So... Everything that comes out of God's mouth, we can trust. And that's the point of what Moses is trying to say right here. Righteous and upright, so you could also translate it as righteous and faithful. He's not going to change. He's immovable. So if we, put our, if we put our trust in God's words, are they going to come to pass? Absolutely. 1 Samuel 26. 1 Samuel 26, 23. First Samuel 26, 23. So what we're doing right now is just kind of getting a little bit of a flavor of what, what imunah means. And what you're going to see is it all has to do with trusting God's Word. If God said it, that settles it. That's what faith is. And that's what we're going to see. 
So you're probably thinking, well, why didn't I tell you that at the beginning? You'd have saved us three hours of study. But we got to look at it. We got to study it out. We got to see that I'm not just making it up. 1 Samuel 26, 23. So this happened, this is um, where David is hiding out from Saul and they cut the corner of his garment off. Verse 23 says, May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. That's the word imunah. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Now, what does David mean when he said, The Lord repay every man for his faithfulness? Now, think about this. What if David's men would have just killed Saul? Here he is. He's right here, David. Let's just kill him. That wasn't in God's time. What did God tell David? You're going to be king. But was he king right then? He was king in God's time, and David knew that. What if David would have stretched out his hand against God's anointed king? He probably would have it, it, out. Yeah, it, it, wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have ended very well for David. So David was to be king, but it was hap- to happen in God's time. And that's what the, the word imunah points to. So David knew that if his man, men had not shown faithfulness to God's word, they would have died. Because what happened to that guy that thought that he was doing David a huge favor? Look, I, I you know, found Saul and I killed him. What did David do? Yeah, he didn't repay him with favor. So he said, you stretched out your hand against God's anointed. Psalm 40, verse 10. Psalm 40, verse 10. Psalm 40, verse 10. Still looking at the word imunah. Psalm 40, verse 10 says, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. So the word faithfulness, if you're reading from the New King James, is the word imunah. So it says here, I, this is David speaking. He says, I have declared your, right, your faithfulness, your salvation. I have not hidden all these things from the people. What, why is it, why are we to declare his faithfulness and salvation to everyone? Why are we to, to tell people about the things which have already happened? So that we remember them. Right, turn to Romans 15.4. So there's a very specific reason why we declare God's faithfulness. Did God ever fail to keep His Word? Never. God never failed to keep His Word. So when we tell these these accounts over and over and over, what does that do to our faith? What does that do to other people's faith? It builds our faith. It builds other people's faith. So go to Romans 15.4. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever things were written before... Romans 15.4 For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, 
that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So if we see God being faithful to David, if we see God being faithful to Moses, if we see God being faithful to all these great men down through the Scriptures, what does that mean He will do for us? Will He break His Word to us as well? He won't. He will keep His promises. And that's... That's what David is saying here. He said, I've declared your faithfulness so that other people will hear and other people will believe. What were the children of Israel supposed to do through keeping God's commandments and God's Torah? Was it to show the nations what, a, what an awful burden those, those commandments were? Like, you don't want to keep these things. They're terrible. They're horrible. No. They were to provoke the other nations to jealousy. To look, look and see what a great God we serve. So what are we supposed to do today by keeping God's commandments? We're supposed to provoke others to jealousy and show them what awesome and great commandments our God has. But unfortunately, what happens when you do try to keep God's commandments? Oh, those old abolished things. You don't have to keep those. So just the way I look at it, just keep doing it because that's what God expects us to do. Actually, keep on keeping on. It's a uh, it's a witness to the nations and it's a witness to your friends and relatives. And when we stand before the judgment, yeah. God can say, "You had the witness of my word, and you just made fun of it." The people that actually form God's commandments, when they see them being enacted and followed. They will be judged, and there will be a there are different degrees of judgment. Absolutely, and we're gonna we're gonna see that yeah. as so we go through. That, that make fun of believers. Uh, they're they're gonna have a special place. Yep. Let's what go. Scripture is it that says, "I am not a man that I should lie." That is Numbers twenty three nineteen. Numbers 23.19. Well, let's look at it. She wanted to see the scripture that said, I'm not a man. God is not a man. It's Numbers 23.19. And it goes right along with what what we're talking about tonight. So if God said, I don't change, I don't lie, can we take God at His word? That's faith. Numbers 23.19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? What's the answer to that? Well, of, of course, he's, if he says something, will he make it right? Will he, will he f- see it through? Absolutely. And that's faith. There's an interesting point there. It's kind of a sign. you remember the scripture where... God says, who will be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets? Because God can't lie. Right. If God says the moon is made out of green cheese, guess what the moon is made out of? Right. He can't lie. Right. So, yeah. He had to get... And look who's saying this. It's Balak is saying this. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And he's still... And he's still sold sold out Israel. All right. Psalm 89.33. Psalm 89.33. Should sound kind of familiar because we always go here for Psalm 89.34. But 
you're going to see how all these are connected. Psalm 89.33. We're going to start back at verse 30 just to kind of get a running start and get the context. I don't ever want to cherry pick a verse. Psalm 89.33 is the key verse, but we're going to start at verse 30. All right, verse 30, it says, If his sons forsake, talking about David, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness I will not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail. The word faithfulness is imunah. Now, look at it in context with Psalm 89, verse 34. Since God does not allow His faithfulness to fail, look at 34. It says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure how long? Forever. So when God says, I will not allow my faithfulness to fail, He's saying, if I said it, I'm not going to let it fail. It's going to happen. That's imunah. That is faithfulness. That's faith. So did David believe that? Did David believe God is going to, I'm going to have descendants to sit on the throne forever? Did David believe that? Then what did David have? He had faith. He had faith. And it's what we're reading about in the scriptures that we read called imunah. Psalm 96.13 Psalm 96.13 Psalm 96.13 Verse 13 starts in the middle of a sentence so we can't start there. We're going to start back in verse 11. You're going to see an end times element to this verse. Psalm 96.11 says, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the wood will rejoice before the Lord. For He is coming and He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His truth. Which word do you suppose is Imunah? Righteousness. Truth. Truth. Most of the time, the word truth is the Hebrew word emet. Emet. Like, like you would say emet, but emet. But here, the word truth is imunah. So you could also translate it, translate it as, He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with His faithfulness. So if God said He's going to judge you this way, if you do this, is he going to change his mind? Nope. Absolutely not. Where do we see God's righteous judgments? We see it in his Torah. We see it in all over the scriptures. So if God said to Israel, if you start committing the sins of the nations, I'm going to cast you out of this land. What if Israel starts committing the sins that the nations start around them were committing. What's he going to do? He's going to cast them out of the land. He's faithful to do that because he said, I'm going to judge the peoples with, my, with his faithfulness. 
is God faithful to His Word? Absolutely. That's faith. So if we know that God judges sin, then what kind of life do we need to live? We need to live as righteous and upright as we can before Him. So He's going to judge the world with His truth or His faithfulness or His unchanging Word. However you want to look at it. It's all the same. It's all the same. Psalm 119 verse 86. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 8. Verse 86. You know, Psalm 119 is kind of like a Lay's potato chip. You can't just read one verse. You can't just have one. I mean, but you kind of have to control yourself and just... Yeah. Because what does... What does all of Psalm 119 talk about? Torah. It talks about how righteous and how good God's Word and God's commandments are. Absolutely. Psalm 119, verse 86. We kind of have to start at verse 85 to kind of find out, to find out who they is referring to. Because verse 86 says, They persecute me wrongfully. We have to know who they is talking about. So verse 85 says, The proud have dug pits for me, which is not according to your law. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They almost made an end of me on earth, but I did not forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. So in verse 86, the word faithful is the word imunah. So God's commandments are faithful why? If you look at verse 86 or 88, what else does it call his Torah? It says the testimony of his mouth. So why are his commandments faithful? Because they come out of his mouth. They're the testimony of his mouth. Is there a New Testament scripture that talks about the scripture being coming out of God's mouth? Second Timothy three sixteen, where it says all Scripture is God breathed. For what? Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Second Timothy three sixteen. Matthew four four says, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." But Second Timothy is very powerful. Because it, ta- it, it tells us what Scripture is. I don't want to get ahead of myself. 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture, or you can translate it, every Scripture, every single Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. That phrase, inspiration of God, is the Greek word theopneustos, which means God-breathed. That means God breathed it out of his mouth. So if God breathed it, it came out of his mouth, what does Paul call it? Scripture. Paul calls it Scripture. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that a man of God, the man of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So... How many of God's words 
are profitable for reproof, doctrine, correction, instruction. How many of God's word? All of them. And what does the what does Paul call all of God's words? Scripture. Scripture. While you're flipping back to Psalm, make a pit stop in John 10. John 10, 35. We're going to come back to this later. But I just, I want it, I feel like this, this particular verse is, kind of helps build on what Scripture is. So in John 10, 35, do you see a parenthetical? If you're reading from the New King James, words in parentheses. It says, and Scripture and the Scripture cannot be broken. So, when you look at Scripture, you look at it as something that came out of the mouth of God, but also you look at it as something that can't be broken. So, for anybody to say any part of God's Word is done away with, what are you calling God? You're calling God a liar. Because Messiah Himself, these words are read... Messiah himself said Scripture cannot be broken. So if Scripture is something that comes out of God's mouth, it cannot be broken. So how does that tie back to what we just read in Psalm 119? In verse 88 of Psalm 119 it says, I may keep the testimony of your mouth. So here it's talking about God's commandments, God's law, God's Torah, whatever you want to call it, as being the testimony of His mouth. And if you look back at verse 86, it says, all of His commandments are faithful. You can take them to the bank. They're not going to change. They're steady. So we've seen all of these different words that we've translated as faithful, steady, truth, and they all come from one Hebrew word, imunah. So when we think about God's commandments... They're steady. They're unchanging. They're faithful. You can take them to the bank because they're not going to change. So how dangerous is it for somebody to stand up in front of a congregation full of people and say, from Malachi back, you don't have to worry about that. It, it, it's old. You don't have to keep that. We have one commandment. Unhitch yourself from the Old Testament. Unhitch yourself from the Ten Commandments. When you hear those kind of messages, how do they jive? We just looked in the Old and the New Testament. How does it jive? It don't. They are one. It's it's one. It's one message. Scripture is one. And when they say that doesn't apply, well, wait a minute. That's like saying God is one. So you but discount the Father or discount the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. Discount Jesus, one. he's preached from the Old Testament. Right. Yeah. So, what starts happening is if you take away scriptures from what we call the Old Testament, what do you have to put in place of it? Because you have to put something in there to fill the gap. That's where doctrine comes in. So, you have to be very careful to, to what you're listening to, what you're reading, and to see does it line up with the scriptures. And what are scriptures? We just read it in, in, in 2 Timothy. Scriptures are anything that come out of the mouth of God. 
And can Scripture be broken? Scripture cannot be broken. Why? Psalm 119, verse 86. All His commandments are faithful, unchanging. They're steady. They're not going to change. Yes, ma'am? Right. Doesn't say cherry pick what you like. It's all of the word of God. Yeah. When I started reading Genesis to Revelation, it was like a magnetic pull that my spirit man became more and more alive, seeing more and more of who God was and is than ever before. Yeah. I mean it it's awesome. Yeah, because you get to actually see the full picture of who God is. You don't see bits. Yeah, you don't see bits and pieces through lens of doctrine. You see who God is from Revelation, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and you see that it's the same God. All right, let's go to Jeremiah five. Maybe somewhere, and I'm, maybe I'm misreading something. Maybe somewhere in here we're going to see God was faithful up to a certain point, and then God just broke His word. Maybe I'm missing it somewhere. Absolutely. Alright, Jeremiah 5.3. I know we're reading Jeremiah on Friday nights, but we'll probably get there next week. But still looking at the word imunah and how imunah or faith is trusting in God's word. Jeremiah 5 and 5.3. We're going to read in verse, start in verse 1 and read to verse 3. We've got to get context. Alright, so this is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. He says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, and seek in her open places, if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? That's the word imunah. You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. What's return mean? To repent. They have refused to repent. So when... When Jeremiah is saying, O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? Are not your eyes on faithfulness? What does Jeremiah know when these people are committing sin? What is God faithful to do to those people who are sinning? He's going to judge them. And that's why he says, You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. So, what kind of spiritual state were the people in right before the Babylonian captivity? Were they on the verge where they were like, yeah, maybe Jeremiah, you might be on to something? Or were they just completely off the deep end? They were just gone. They were gone. So, it's what the New Testament, specifically in Romans 1, Paul calls a reprobate mind. And we're going to read more about a reprobate mind a little bit later on. So I don't want to get too far off into that tangent. But let's, look, let's keep looking at some other places. So Jeremiah has a lot to talk about, with, especially with this word, imunah. Uh, let's go to Jeremiah 7. Jeremiah 7. 
verse 28. I want to start in 27 because 27 kind of gives the sobering context. But verse 28 is where the word imunah is. Jeremiah 7, 27 says, Therefore you shall speak all these words to them. This is God talking to Jeremiah. But they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So in other words, God is telling Jeremiah, you're going to preach to these people, but what? They're not going to listen. They're not going to hear you. Verse 28 says, So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive instruction. Truth, that's imunah, has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. So their faithfulness to God is gone. And if you look back in verse 28, where it says, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God. That word obey in Hebrew is shema bakol. Literally means hearing the voice. So it's a, it's a nation that does not hear the voice of God. So God gave His commandments through His prophets. He's, or He's given these warnings through His prophets. He gave His commandments. And what do the people continue to do? To, to, just to continue to just do their thing. And it says, Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. That means their faithfulness to God, gone gone. So how many of God's commandments are they keeping? None. None. Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah 9. Verse 3, it says, Jeremiah 9, 3, it says, And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth, that's the word imunah, on the earth, for they proceed from what? Evil to evil. And they do not know me, says the Lord. So they're not satisfied with one evil, but they go from one to another to another to another to another. So they are not valiant for the truth on the earth. The, for, they're not valiant for God's faithfulness, God's faithful word, God's steady, unchanging word. What would they rather have? Their own ways. Their, own ways. their The lies of the false prophets. Because what are the false prophets telling the people? Oh, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can continue in sin. You're God's people. God's not going to judge this place. And here's Jeremiah saying, God's about to wreck the joint. Do something. Repent. And what did the people do? They tried to kill Jeremiah. They tried to kill him. Lowered him down into a pit. Did all kinds of stuff to him. Did God's words come to pass? Absolutely. So God was faithful to what He said. He said, if you do not repent, Jer um, Jerusalem is going to be basically an uninhabitable wasteland. Was it? It was. For a long time. For the first time 70 years, but since 70 AD, it's been nearly 2,000 years.
All right, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to Luke. Luke 7. Still looking at how faith is trusting in God's words. In Luke 7, this is the story about the centurion that told the Lord, he said, Lord, just speak the word. Just speak the word. And my servant will be healed. Verse 9, it says, When Yeshua heard these things, talking about the words that came from the centurion's mouth, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Because was this centurion a Jew? No, he was a Gentile. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. So, what kind of faith, what, what made this centurion have such great faith? He knew that the Lord, that Messiah, could just speak the word and that servant could be healed. How did he have such faith? Was there anything in the scriptures that said Messiah would be able to do all of these things? Absolutely. So when you look at those scriptures and say, God can do this and it's going to happen, because he said it was going to happen. What do we call that? Well, that's what did Messiah call it? He said, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Look back in Isaiah 35. Keep a finger in Luke and turn back to Isaiah 35. We're going to look at that word faith in just a minute. Because it's not, it's not the, necessarily the word imunah even though it carries the same flavor. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, for waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So this scripture here is a messianic scripture of prophecy saying the Messiah will be able to do all of these things. And what did that centurion know and believe? Scripture. Those scriptures. He put his faith in the scriptures. So if we turn back to Luke 7, Luke 7, in verse 9 where it says, I have not found such great faith. That word faith in the Greek is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis, which is Greek word 4102. We're going to see that word a lot tonight. So the Greek, the Greek word for faith is pistis. I want to look at another scripture that ties to what we just read in Isaiah 35. Look at Luke 18.42. Luke 18.42. 42. Luke 18:42. Luke 18:42. Look at verse 41. 
Look at what Yeshua says to the man that's blind. He says, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. How did he know that Messiah could give him sight? It's that same faith in that scripture that he knew that Messiah was going to be able to heal him. Verse 42 says, Then Yeshua said to him, Receive your sight. What made him well? Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight, followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So your faith, your pistis, has made you well. All right, let's go to Acts 13. Acts 13. Verse 34. Acts 13 is the scripture that tells us that the Jews and the Gentiles met in the synagogue on the Sabbath, but we're not here for that. You can read that on your own time. Luke 13.42, that's on your own time. But we're going to look at Acts 13.34. Acts 13.34. So this is Paul speaking to the crowd. He says, And that he, talking about God, raised him, talking about Messiah, from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. The word sure is the word translated back in Luke as faith. So the word sure is pistis. So I will give you the faithful mercies of David. Alright, what does that mean? I will give you the faithful mercies of David. Let's go back to 2 Samuel. So keep a finger in Acts, because we're going to come back to Acts in just a minute. Go back to 2 Samuel. Second Samuel seven, verses thirteen through sixteen, talking about the sure mercies of David. Because if you look at what Paul said, it was talking about resurrection. Resurrection. What? What did that have to do with anything? Well, let's look and see what it says. Second Samuel seven, starting in verse thir- um, thirteen. Let's start in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, this is talking from God to David, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established, how long? Forever Forever before you. Your throne shall be established, how long? Forever. Forever. So how many times did God tell David, your throne will be established forever? Three times. If God said it once, that's good enough. But when he says it three times, what does David know? My throne will continue how long? Forever. Okay? Yes, ma'am? 
I was listening and thinking along with what we're dealing with here, and we keep talking about people's faith, and because they what? They heard it. They had to have been putting themselves in the presence of a teacher to have known the Word of God. Right. And today we have people going and doing something online and calling themselves a minister right. that have never truly become a student or know the Word. Right. If you don't know the Word, how can you ask God to heal you? If you don't know the Word, how can you expect Him to do the things that He can do? Because Amen. you will not know them. Absolutely. You can, I mean, you don't know the blessing, the the promises of God. Absolutely. And that's the same thing with David here. David knew that his throne was going to be established forever. Now what happened around 586 B.C.? Babylonian captivity, the king Zedekiah is taken into captivity. What does it appear that the Davidic line is? Gone. But if you look at verse 12, he said, I will set up your seed after you. When God was talking to Abraham and he was talking about your seed, yes, he was talking about his descendants, but also who was he talking about? He was talking about Messiah. He was talking about Messiah. So this is a messianic promise. So if we go back to Acts 13, he said, I will give you the sure mercies of David. That's how it ties to resurrection. Because who is that resurrected king that's going to be continued through the Davidic line? It's Messiah. Absolutely. Yes, sir? Did you have a question? No. Okay. All right. So hopefully that makes sense about the sure mercies of David. And that scripture is from Isaiah 55.3 where it mentions the sure mercies of David. Let's look at it. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55.1 talks about the price of salvation. How much, does, how much money does it cost you to get saved? Not a dime. No, there's some preachers that don't. That that doesn't make it so, but. All right, Isaiah 55, the key verse is 3. Let's start in verse 1 to get the context. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Yes, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me, hear and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. What everlasting covenant do you suppose that is? That's the new covenant. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. So in order to become part of that everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David, you have to believe upon Messiah. And those sure mercies of, of David deal with the resurrection. And it says your soul shall live. Your soul shall live, absolutely. So what if you don't believe in that? Your soul's not going to live. So I mean, it's, there's, there's two choices. So when you know when you hear about the sure mercies of David how there's going to be a descendant of David sitting on his throne forever we know that that's messiah but what if you don't believe in the resurrection what if you believe there is no resurrection what does paul in 1 corinthians 15 say about your faith 
Your faith is empty. You're of men most pitiable, is what he says. In other words, what do you have faith in if you don't believe that there's a resurrection? All right, Acts 17. Acts 17. Since verse 31 starts with because, we'll start back at verse 30. Can't start in the middle of a sentence. We've got to know the context. <laughs> so Acts 17, the key verse is 31, but we're going to start in verse 30. It says, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained, He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. Do you see the word assurance? That's the word pistis. So in Luke, it was translated as faith. In Acts 13, it was translated as sure. In Acts 17.31, it's translated as assurance. So when God says something, it should give you assurance that it's going to happen, that it's going to come to pass. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 15 just a moment ago, so let's turn there. I have that actually in my notes. 1 Corinthians 15. Talking about what is your faith if you don't believe in the resurrection. That's why you're sad, you see, right? <laughs> oh, I could I couldn't. Yep. Alright. Alright, so first Corinthians fifteen twelve through nineteen. Now, if Messiah is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Messiah is not risen. If Messiah is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your what is also empty? Your faith is also empty. That means there's nothing that it's grounded in. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Messiah, whom He did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ or Messiah is not risen, and if Messiah is not risen, your faith is futile. Futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Messiah have perished, if in this life we only have hope in Messiah, we are of all men most pitiable. And the King James says most miserable. So if we have no faith that there is a resurrection, we have no basis for our faith. And then he, he lightens the mood in verse 20 by saying, but Messiah is risen from the dead. So that's where we can put our faith. Messiah is risen. He's going to come for us again. That's that assurance that Acts 17 talks about. Since Messiah has risen from the dead, we can have assurance that He's going to return again for His bride. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. The key verse is 9, 
but we're going to start in verse 5. Galatians 3, verse 9, starting in verse 5. says, Therefore he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's the answer? By the hearing of faith. But we're going to look more deeply into that later about the difference between the works of the law and and faith because we're going to see some some cool stuff as we go through there. Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So what I want you to do this is an aside. I want you, when you read over and over in Romans and Galatians about the faith of Abraham. I want you to think about how that faith was demonstrated. Verse 7, it says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham before it preached the what? To Abraham, preach the gospel. You mean the gospel has been from the beginning? The gospel has been from the beginning. The book of Hebrews talks about how the gospel was preached to those in the wilderness. Who came first, Abraham or those in the wilderness? Abraham came first. And what was preached to him? The gospel. The good news, the gospel saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So what does the gospel have to do with Abraham? How are all the nations blessed through believing Abraham? Who came through Abraham? Messiah came through Abraham who would justify those who believed in him. So verse 9 says, So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. That word faith is pistis. So those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 11. Don't worry, I hadn't forgot about verse 6. We're going to look at verse 6 a little bit later. I know verse 6 really kind of hones in on what faith is. And we're going to look at that verse pretty deeply a little bit later. Hebrews 11.11 By faith Sarah, that word faith is pistis. By faith Sarah herself also with received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So why is Sarah in the honor roll of the faithful? Didn't she laugh? But she also what? She believed. So she believed that God was going to carry out what He said He was going to do. Did He do it? Yep. Absolutely. He did exactly what He said He was going to do and that's why it was accounted to her for faith. And she believed He was the son of promise. Absolutely. And you know, Abraham, I think, had a little harder time. With yeah. Yeah. Had a little bit hard time kicking Ishmael out, didn't he? Yeah. All right, Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Verse 5. 
talking about the words of Revelation. Revelation 21.5 says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So what? how many of the words in Revelation can we believe? We can believe them all. And that word faithful is pistis. Look at Revelation 22.6. So it should just be the next page over. Revelation 22.6. Then he said to me, These words are what? Faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So, whenever you see the word faith, pistis, imunah, however you want to translate it, look at all the different flavors that that word carries. Steady. Faithfulness. Truth. Assurance. Sure. So these are all words that are associated with something that does not change. So if you believe in God's words and you say, Lord, you said it, I'm, you're going to deliver, I can, we can take it to the bank, is God going to be, is God slack concerning His promise? No. Absolutely not. So faith is trusting God's word. All right. So looking at the next part of what is faith. So here's a new subheading that you can write down. So our faith is proven by our works. Sounds like we're going to get into some sticky subjects here. This is the one people have the hardest time with. But we're going to look and see how much easier it really is to think about. It's so much more simple when you look at it through the lens of Abraham. That's what we're going to look at. What's this our faith is proven by our works. So let's go to James. James. Chapter 2. Verses 14 through 26. We're going to, read, we're going to look at James chapter 2. And then we're going to go to Romans chapter 3. Because it's going to look like there is a complete contradiction in Scripture. Because even when I read it through, I was thinking, this seems like it's kind of... I, I know I'm just mis, misinterpreting it, but it sure does look like there's some type of... Conflict. There's some kind of conflict. So when it looks like there's a conflict in Scripture, number one, you've got to look at the translation. You've got to look at how the words are translated. But two, you've got to think about the context. What is the context? So let's look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. The title in my Bible here says, Faith without works is dead. Because that's exactly what faith is. Faith has to have something to show that it's real. Yes, sir? My title says, Good works follow faith. That's it. Alright, and there's somebody I want you to keep in mind the whole time we're reading. Keep Abraham in mind. Keep Abraham in mind. Verse 14 says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? What would we call that? They have a declaration of faith, but they have no works. Can faith save him? That means can his mere proclamation of faith save him? No. Verse 15. Okay, so this is where... It get, this is where people start going. Urgh. 
Because I thought we were saved by we are saved by faith. But what Paul what James is saying, if you have an empty declaration of faith, if you just say you have faith and nothing to prove it, how real is your faith? How do you know a tree by its what? Fruits. How do you know a false teacher? By their fruits. So how do you know if someone really has faith? I, you can't see inside of me to know if I have faith or not. So what do I do to show you that I have faith? My actions, my works should prove my faith is real. Verse 15 says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but do, you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So does belief in God mean that you have faith? No. no. It says even the demons believe and tremble. But does that make them saved? No. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Do you really want to know this? Is what James is saying. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac on the altar? That word justified really, it caught my eye. It caught my eye. The word justified in Greek is the Greek word 1344. And it's the Greek word dikaiao. I'm going to spell it. So, dikaiao. D I K A I O O. Dikaiao. And what it means is to declare righteous. So if we look at it again, it says, Was not Abraham our father declared righteous by his works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Because what does Genesis 15.6 say? It says, Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, he accounted it to him for righteousness, but what did Abraham have to do? Was that enough? He believed, but what did he have to do? He had to do it. He had to offer Isaac to show what? That his faith, his declaration of faith was what? Was real. So, was not Abraham our father declared righteous by his works or by works when he offered Isaac on the, his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So notice, James said the scripture was fulfilled not in Genesis 15, but in Genesis 22. God accounted it to him for righteousness in Genesis 15. But when was that fulfilled? 
when he actually did what? Showed that his faith was real. So God said, okay, I'm accounting this to you for righteousness because what did he know Abraham was going to do? He knew Abraham was going to fall through. So it was given to us in Genesis 15 to know that, hey, Abraham is going to follow through with his word. So that, that scripture, Abraham believed God and was counted to righteousness, was fulfilled in Genesis 22. Because he believed in the resurrection. He believed that if he did that, right. there was going, so he believed God and, and the gospel. Yeah, he believed God and the gospel which all deals with resurrection. Absolutely, yes. And so Abraham had to have in his heart, in his mind, that determination that he was going to go through with it and kill his son, sacrifice, offer his son as an offering. Right? But God wasn't going to allow him to actually kill him so that he would have to be or need to be resurrection, resurrected for the promise to come through because Yeshua was the first one. Right. So what as, I mean, so as soon as Abraham lifted the knife and God said, Abraham, Abraham, what did what did Abraham turn and see caught in the thicket behind him? He saw the ram. And what did the ram signify? Because it said he saw it behind him. But remember that word behind also means in the future. Yeah. So what was that ram caught in the thicket? That was the sacrifice. That was Messiah. That was the resurrection. That's it. Verse, and he was called the friend of God. Verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Not by an empty declaration of faith. That's what James is talking about. He's not saying salvation by works. He's saying you prove that your faith is real through your works, through your actions. Likewise was Rahab the harlot also justified or declared righteous by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. And that word faith that we're seeing all through here is the word pistis. So When we read Romans 3, it's going to appear that there's a contradiction. So go over to Romans 3.28. So James is saying, your faith is proven by your works. Daniel? Yes. Yes, ma'am? Just curious, because we see the word work a lot that has to description. Do we know what word work is by chance? And I can look it up later. I just wondered if, if uh, you might. Well, a lot of times the word work is translate or is the Greek word ergon. And I, I did a teaching all about works. Um, it is the word ergon, E-R-G-O-N. Okay. Okay. I can look it up and let you know, but it... Anytime it's talking about works in the New... A lot of times when it's talking about works in the New Testament is the word ergon. I'm, I apologize, I don't have it written down at the moment. It is ergon. It is ergon. Okay, good. Okay. So that word works is 
Ergon, E-R-G-O-N. And that means deeds? And that means works or deeds, yeah. Absolutely. I hope that answered your question. Okay. Romans 3. We have about 30 seconds left, but I want to read Romans 3.28, and then we'll read the context of it tomorrow. All right, I'll give you something to chew on. It says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified or declared righteous by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So doesn't it appear just on the surface that that's a complete contradiction to what James said over in James? Because he's saying that your works prove your faith. And then here's Paul saying, we conclude that a man is justified or declared righteous by faith. But that's where we have to be careful not to cherry pick a verse out of context. And we're going to look deep, more deeply at it tomorrow. Well, I mean, are, you, are you having faith in what God says or are you having faith in what you're doing by following? You know, saying I'm following the law. These are, these are the works, but you know, you can take that, you can say you're following the law, but you're ignoring your neighbor, or you're ignoring God, ignoring God, you're not loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and being, and your neighbor as yourself. Yep. We're going to look up, we're going to look really deeply into this verse and see, is there a contradiction? Yeah, there's not a, there's not a contradiction, but we're going to have to go all the way back to chapter 2. Because that's going to give us the context to help us understand what's happening here in verse 28 of chapter 3. So we'll, we'll, pick, it, we'll pick it apart tomorrow. Lord willing.